Disciple or follower? Disciple or follower? How many of you guys have ever wondered or prayed or asked or talked, I want to know what my calling is? Anybody? Anybody at all? Me too. Get your notes out. I'll give you your calling right now. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Like, well, that's not my calling. I mean, my calling is to be a mighty preacher, a worship star. No, this is your calling. So you can start there. And then the specific assets will come along. You'll see that. But honestly, that is our calling. I mean, that's not a, this isn't multiple choice. Jesus didn't say, everybody who wants, do this. No, he looked at his disciples and he said, hey, go to all nations, create disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey the laws, and I am with you always to the end of the age. Another place in Matthew chapter 5, let's read that. Chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. This is once again, red letters, Jesus is speaking. And he's speaking to his disciples and he says, you... And this pertains to you, as you read this. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on the hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out of all out. Sorry, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Two good scriptures, right? We all have read them. I hope we've all read them. They inspire me. We are the salt. We are the light. I say it. Everybody says it. We quote it. We preach it. But let's dissect these words a little bit, especially the message about the salt and the light. What does that mean, you're the salt to the earth? What does that mean, you're the light? Well, if you take it literally to what Jesus is saying, he's saying that you have to cause a difference. You have to cause a difference. You know what salt does? When salt comes in contact with something, it changes the flavor. It stops decay. Salt was used as a preservative for many years before modern refrigerators came out. But you salt meat and it stops decaying. That's what Jesus was referencing here. He says, you are the salt. You are the flavor to this earth. You're the protection to this earth. He says, you're the light. What does that mean? That means when you come in, the atmosphere has to change. That means when you come to your workplace, things that were gloomy have to start changing to become light. People in depression have to start seeing something different in you. That's what this calling is. And this is not, once again, this is not a calling by choice. It's not Joe is called to do this. It's every single one of us. You can't push this off and say, hey, turn that light on. It's you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light. You are the city on the hilltop. And Jesus proclaims that with such boldness to say that's who you are. But am I alone to say that 
We're not always that. I mean, let's be honest. Are we truly the salt at all times? Are we truly the light at all times? And that, as I was praying and reading, I started asking that. Why? Why am I not always causing an effect? Why is it that there are so many people around me who need change but are unchanged, but are unaffected even? Their, their darkness doesn't even seem to mind my light. I ask that of myself. And maybe some of you are wondering that same thing. Listen, God, I, I know that you called me to be the salt. I know that you called me the light. But I'm, I'm coming to this school, I'm coming to this workplace for so many years. And it seems like I'm completely ineffective. It seems like nothing's changing around me. When Isaiah was here last week, or yeah, was it last, last week, he was preaching in the morning service. And he started asking basic questions. He said, hey, how many of you guys have preached the gospel to somebody outside of the church? How many of you guys have prayed for somebody for their healing? How many of you guys have, have uh, baptized somebody? How many of you, and all these simple things, cast out demons, but all that is part of the commandment to us. So the question is why? Why do we not see this constantly? Maybe the, the Bible is not effective anymore. Maybe it's outdated. We need to update the version. I don't think that's the case. You know, this word is eternal. And Jesus, he wasn't limited to the, to the time frame where he actually walked this earth. When he spoke these words, they ring in eternity. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word will pass away. Not one word will become old, will become ineffective. Listen, guys, you still are the light of the earth. Listen, I'm here to tell you, you still are the salt to this earth. I'm here to tell you that you still are called to go and make disciples. You still are called to come and make a difference. It didn't stop in the book of Acts. It is continuing today. And I realize that the answer to all that is in John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. Jesus is speaking. The beatitudes, uh, oh, sorry, this not. So Jesus is speaking here and, and he says to his disciples, he says, remain in me. John 15, verse 4 and 5. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I am that will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And literally, as I, as I was just checking my life and seeing, you know, how come the salt that I am isn't as effective as I wish it was? How come the light that I'm called isn't as bright as I wish it was? I'm not here to say that to condemn anybody here. I'm saying it with love, but I'm, I'm saying it as just a check. Check yourself. Is your light truly the light that you want it to be? Is, it, is your salt truly as salty as you want it to be? And the answer is simple. Do you remain in Christ? Do you remain in Him? And this is where that question came up to me. Follower or disciple? Follower or disciple? Quite often we use them as synonyms. 
a disciple is a follower. Yeah, on one aspect, but not every follower is a disciple. Yeah, disciples are followers. They follow Christ, but guess what? Not every follower ended up to be a disciple. I'll prove that. It's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. John chapter 6, verse 2. It says, a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. A huge crowd. And this is not the only time reference of a huge crowd following. We see constantly crowds would come because Jesus fed them. Crowds would come because they would see healings. Crowds would come because he would speak with authority. Crowds would come and there were followers. Followers. Tons of them. Multitudes. He would sit in boats. He would speak to the multitudes. But as far as disciples go, you never see crowds. We see reference to the 12, right? The main 12 disciples. And then we see reference to the 70 but that's about it. Listen, there were crowds following him. But there was only a very few, select few that became disciples. But you know, Jesus did not limit the number of disciples. The followers didn't all choose to become disciples. It's your choice to be a follower or a disciple. It's your choice. We all, not, no, I don't want to say that. That's too generic. Many of us, not we all, but many of us want miracles. I want a miracle. I want to see miracles. It's awesome. Many of us want God to do something in our lives. Many of us. But the reality is the disciples were the ones through whom these things were done. Were the ones that were true witnesses to all this. You see, I see crowds referenced in the gospel so many times. 58, I think. Followers, crowds, many people. But you know, the book of Acts starts, how does it start? With 120 people. Where are the crowds? Where are these followers? Where are these people that walked around Jesus? They didn't all die when Jesus died on the cross. There was only three crosses. You can't fit that many people on three crosses. Where do they all go? How come the book of Acts doesn't start with multitudes came to see him ascend? It doesn't start that way. I'm teaching the book of Acts. Challenge me. I'm telling you, it doesn't start that way. Open up the book of Acts, chapter 1. There's only a few people there. But there were crowds. There were multitudes. There were multitudes. And so as I pondered on that and just, just prayed, God started pointing out some characteristics that disciples have that followers don't. And that's what I want to go over. And, and this is, I'm going to just speak about three and I'm going to kind of expand on them. This isn't the only three, but these are the three that, that stood out to me. So the one thing I want to emphasize before I start about the characteristics, it's, it's our choice to be a disciple or a follower. It's our choice to be a disciple or a follower. Because Jesus says his will is for all to be saved. His will is for every single person that he encounters to become his disciple. He doesn't limit. He's not selective in that. And, and, and I can prove that because he called, he comes up to the young man. What happens when he meets the rich young man? See, that was an encounter very similar to what the disciples had. He met Jesus face to face. He says, Lord, what should I do to be saved? 
What does Jesus tell him? He says, fulfill the commandments. Honor your father and your mother. Do this and this and that. And the young rich man says, Lord, since childhood I've been doing that. What's crazy is about this young rich, young rich man, it says that Jesus loved him or liked him. He, there, there was something special about this guy. And in that moment with Jesus, he has a choice. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, sell what you have and follow me. That was a choice. And the young rich man walked away disappointed because he had a lot. But that was a choice. And, and, and you know, he comes, up to, he comes up to the brothers in John chapter 6. Sorry, I'm skipping. Uh, in Mark chapter 1. This is what it says. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water. For they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. That was a choice. He didn't come up and rip the nets out of their hands. He didn't come up and, and chain them up, shackle them and say, You'll see in three years you'll be glad I did this. Come on. And just drag him off. No, he comes up to Simon. He comes up to Andrew and he says, listen, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He came up to the young rich man and he says, sell what you have and follow me. And we see that that's exactly how Jesus called his disciples. He would come and he would say, do this and follow me. Uh, Elijah already quoted the scripture, right? Daily we must pick up our cross and follow who? Him. But that's a choice. Jesus doesn't say daily I will put your cross on your back and then you follow me. No, he says daily. What do we do? We pick it up. To pick anything up is a choice. Daily I got to get up and I have to make that choice. Lord, I'm going to pick up my cross today. No, that can't be right. It's not about works. Come on. Who's feeling that right now sitting here? Psh, this guy's preaching works. Mm -mm. Solo fail, solo gracia, right? We all know that. Grace alone, faith alone. Come on, Martin Luther. That was, part, that was what was nailed. The, the 95 thesis nailed on the wall. Come on. We're Protestants. I heard that the other, what were we listening to about Protestants? You know the Protestants first meant pro-testament, pro-testament. My wife's my helper. She reminds me of things. Pro-testament. Protestants started as pro-testament. So Martin Luther gets this revelation that grace and faith saves and it was pro-New Testament. But you know what it became to me? Protestant. Because, I'm serious. There was another fact too. He's like, how many times did the Catholic Church divide in 2,000 years? You know how many times? In 2,000 years. Twice. The Catholic Church divided twice in 2,000 years. How many times did the Protestant Church divide in like 500 years? Many, many. We can't count how many times we divided in the last month. We got isms all over the place. All over the place. Calvinism. Judah, blah, blah, blah. Ism, ism, ism. We divide like nobody's business. Oh, oh, you guys wear gray shirts? Ooh, we don't do gray shirts. I'm going right here. And we, whatever we feel. But I'm here to tell you very clearly, 
By faith and by grace is how you get your salvation. Done. Faith and grace. There's no works involved. Nothing. But your works will be judged. Oh, no, you can't say that. No, that's what the Bible says. You want to see it? Here you go. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look what it says. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But, see, I'm not the only one that used that word. The Bible does. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work was of any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, that builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. That's not me. Can't get mad at me on that. That's Paul writing to the Corinthian church. That is the word of God. And it totally clearly divides this misconception that people carry so often. Well, you can't judge me. Are you a believer? Yeah, absolutely I can judge you. Because the Bible judges me and you together, bud. Oh, you, you, Paul says I do not even judge myself. You're right. But God is going to judge your words, bud. So better you, better me than God on judgment day, all right? Honestly, if I'm doing things wrong, I want my friends to judge me. I want my friends to be like, hey, bud, that's not really scriptural. Because, you know, it's going to be a lot better here. You know, I don't want to escape fire. I don't want to walk into heaven just singed. So, whoo, whoo, yeah, made it. I don't want that. I want to bring something worthy of a king. I want to come into heaven worthy of a king. I want to come to the one who died for me and say, Lord, by grace alone, by faith alone, this is what I was able to do. Because of you, you, you who died on the cross. I don't deserve to be here at all. And with the little that I had, this is the little that I could bring. I don't want to waste my life, guys. I don't want to waste my life being a follower. I don't want to chase miracles. I don't want to chase bread and fish. I want to be a disciple. And the first characteristic that that I saw is that a disciple... Lays down his will for the will of his rabbi. See, to us, the word disciple is so foreign, it's only biblical. But in the context of the Jews, in the context of Israel and where Jesus was walking, disciples were everyday occurrences. There were a ton of disciples. Did you know that Paul was a disciple? He just wasn't a disciple of Jesus. But he was a disciple of Gamaliel. He was a renowned rabbi in Israel. He was zealous. We see that name referenced by Paul. We see that name referenced in the book of Acts. He's present multiple times scripturally. So disciples were common. The, the, the disciples that we know of, they weren't trendsetters. They weren't popping out of nowhere like, oh man, there's these 12 guys that made a new word, disciple. No, there's a ton of disciples. Disciple meant you had a rabbi and you went to school permanently. That's what a disciple was. And being a disciple was completely a choice. It was completely a choice. You didn't have to be a disciple. You can go and become a carpenter. 
You can go and become a well digger. You can go and do whatever else. But certain people decided to be disciples. Now, what's interesting about a disciple is that it's not like what we're used to here in college. I went to college, but in college you can quit. You don't like your teacher? Forget you. I'm talking to my counselor. I don't like that chemistry class. It's difficult. I'll take the easier chemistry class. I heard that guy doesn't give assignments. That's not how being a disciple was. Being a disciple was simple. Hey, you want to be a disciple? Great. Forget about your life. My life. I'm not joking. That's what a disciple was. It was an honor to be a disciple. So, so for Peter, John, Andrew, Matthew, for these disciples, you know what they had to do? They had to say bye to their life. Literally. Discipleship wasn't a life group. It wasn't Friday night every three weeks. Maybe. If the pizza's good. Discipleship was a full-time commitment. It was, hey... Up to this point, this was my life. Today I'm going to be called a disciple. What tomorrow's going to bring just depends on my rabbi. When Jesus got up and walked, you don't see disciples being like, 9 a.m. You, you said 10. 9 a.m. I, I still got plans. And I'm not trying to be harsh, but man, we live that way. We live... To make Jesus a commodity. We live. Look what it says. This is crazy. Have you guys read John chapter 6? Who's, who here has read John chapter 6? That's a crazy chapter. I'm serious. You're, you're all going to read it tonight. But I'm serious. It's a crazy chapter. Imagine Jesus is standing. It, it would be crazy preached today. But where he preached it. Just makes it that much crazier. He stands in front of Jews who don't eat pork because it's not kosher. I mean, these people have strict rules they're following. Set by, by God in the Old Testament. I mean, they're extremely strict. They don't touch the dead because it makes them unclean. I mean, things that you've never even realized. And he's standing in front of these Jews and says... I am the bread of life. You must eat my flesh, drink my blood to be saved. That sounds crazy today. It sounds like some vampire story. But back then, that was just lunacy. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. And we see, I'm not making this up. Read John chapter 6. Get home, open your Bible. It's there. It didn't change overnight. It's there and it's going to say, you're going to find in John chapter 6 that you know what happens after he preaches this sermon? Many disciples are like, that's too much. I mean, that's, that's too heavy. That's too heavy. I don't know if I can follow that. And Jesus turns to the 12, to his closest friends, closest disciples. And he says to them in chapter 6, verse 67, 69, are you going to leave? He just watches a bunch of disciples say, I don't know if I could take that. I... I lost you there. Why would you preach that, Jesus? It's because to him, discipleship is not a joke. He wasn't willing to have 
he was checking the 12 and saying, hey, maybe you guys want to leave too. The door's open. Once again, proving that it's a choice. Proving that it's your choice on a daily basis. And I love Simon's response. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Mm. A disciple lays down his will for the will of his rabbi. You know what that means for you and I? That I lay my will down to the Word of God. This is an iPad, but there's the Word of God in there. But I lay my life down to the Word of God. What does that mean? That means everything gets filtered by the Word of my life. It has to. It has to. When I studied engineering, we did a lot of sifting. It's a really cool process. There's screens and you shake them. Things fall through. Things remain. It's a very simple concept. The hole is this big. If the rock's a little bigger, it's not going to go through the hole. It's very simple. The Bible is actually really simple. The Bible is a sifter. You dump your life on it. You let God shake it around. Certain things fall through. Good. Things that don't fall through, they have to go. There's no, there's no, maybe I can push it. Open the screen a little bit. We do that so much. No, come on, that's not a sin. You know what they do in Germany? Since when is Germany in the Bible? Why are we comparing ourselves to, hey, do you know what this preacher does? He's not in the Bible. I'm good. I mean, at the end of the day, let the sifter be the sifter. A disciple lays his will down for the will of his rabbi. There's no ands, ifs, or buts. A disciple says, if it doesn't fit through that sifter, I don't want it in my life. But that, once again, is a choice. It's a choice every day, guys. It's not a choice made once. It's a choice I make every single day. It's a choice you make at your job. It's a choice you make in your school about cheating on that test that you're planning to cheat. You can start washing off those notes off your wrist. It's a choice. Integrity is a choice. Honesty is a choice. Being the salt is a choice. It's not forced upon you. Jesus is not going to come and strike you dead. He won't. He's just going to stand calmly asking you to come to him out of his word. He's just going to stand continuing to stretch out that invitation saying, hey, follow me. Don't do that. Follow me. Why do we not? Why do we not surrender our will? Why is it difficult to surrender our will? There's only one reason. We're convinced that his will isn't as good as ours. That's the only reason. Man, how many of you guys know trading up is easy? If you've ever had to trade something on Craigslist, trading up is easy. When somebody brings a dirt bike to trade for your pencil, you don't think too long. You're like, sweet, you need a pencil? I have a great one. Trading up is easy. But when somebody rolls up on a half-beaten Civic and he's like, hey, you want to trade for your Beamer? You're like, let me check Kelly Blue Book. <laughs> Trading up is so easy, but we're not convinced. We're just not convinced. 
that his will is as good as ours. We have the American dream. Pull myself up with my bootstraps. What is that? Stop pulling yourself with your bootstraps. That is just weird. And I'm here to tell you, his will is superior to yours. The Bible says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. He says, as the heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. I'm here to let you guys know, his will is superior to yours. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Stop holding it back. Stop trying to control everything. Oh, if I do this, I'm going to get a good wife. If I do this, I'm going to get Stop. Stop. Because as we do that, what ends up happening is, he just has to stand aside and say, all right. Because see, the enemy doesn't work like God. God is gentle. Jesus was gentle the entire time. He never chained anybody or shackled. But what's interesting is the enemy chains and shackles all day long. He comes, you just give him an opportunity. He will shackle that. He will slap those chains on. He can't wait to do that. But it's your choice. It's your choice. It's your choice what you do with your life. It's your choice what, what you decide to do. Number two. So number one, a disciple surrenders his will for the will of the rabbi. And obviously the opposite is the follower doesn't. We don't see the crowds doing that. You know when the crowds came to Jesus? When it was convenient. I'm hungry. He's got fish. I'm there. Sit down in groups of 50, no problem. Cheer him on, no problem. Talk good about him, no problem. He's got fish. I'll come for the fish. Man, we can come to church for the lights. We can come to church for the music. Come to church for the girls. For the girls, come for the guys. Then those girls and guys leave. Then you switch churches. That's a follower. You know what else? I used to say, I, I said it multiple times actually, that in God's presence, we change. But I realized even that is only halfway true. Because there's a lot of people in Jesus' presence. A lot of unchanged people. So I tell you, even that's a choice. It's when you allow his presence to not be here, but be here that you start to change. It's when you ask him. It's when you realize my will is so insufficient. It is such a failure compared to your will. It's when you realize and you ask him, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. God, my dreams, not my dreams, but your dreams. God, my thoughts, not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Number two that a disciple does but a follower doesn't is surrender his livelihood. A disciple surrenders not only his will, but his livelihood. And I think it's more actual today than ever before. We are such a career-driven culture. It, like never before has career become more important than anything else. People will pay big bucks. They will dedicate years. They will do crazy things for a solid career. What happens when you achieve your career and you sense the Holy Spirit telling you, that's not where I want you to be? Have you ever thought of that? Um, am I being too tough? Honestly, I don't know why. As I was praying, I just wanted to, to talk to you guys. Just ask that. Ask these questions because 
I had to ask this of myself. And, and by the way, I'm not preaching from above down. I'm, I'm here with you guys. I'm here asking these same questions, saying, God, what happens when you tell me to leave it? I got to ask myself that constantly. Starting this business, I started a business a year ago. Ask my wife how many times I've mentioned it already. That when the time comes that he says to leave it, I have to leave it. For some reason, I feel like that time is going to come. And I don't think it's just for me. I'm not a doomsday preacher, but I'm telling you, we've, we've elevated our livelihood so high that we use God once again as a commodity. Man, we drop to our knees when the finances aren't coming. We drop to our knees when, when what we expected doesn't happen. But you know what Jesus tells the disciples? He says, Peter. And it's, what does it say in the Bible? It says that they were fishermen. They were fishermen. That was their livelihood. Listen, Peter did not have another career. That was his career. And by the way, it was a successful career. Being a fisherman back in the day was a good job. It wasn't a hobby like we do for the most part. It was a good job. And he comes to Peter and he says, leave it and follow me. What? No, I went to college. Jesus, you don't understand. I'm preaching to the people here. You just, you just don't understand. If you went to college, you'd know. There wasn't college back then. I need the new version of the Bible. A disciple, unlike a follower. See, a follower won't do that. That's crazy talk. You're talking crazy. Leave my livelihood? That's crazy. I'm not doing that. I'm going to earn what I can. I'm going to provide. I have to provide for my children. That's a God. That's, a, that's in the Bible. It says you have to provide for your children. It does. But I see time and time again when Jesus says, follow me. He comes to Zacchaeus. He walks into Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus' life gets wrecked. And instantly Zacchaeus is like, hey, my career used to be a thief. Made a lot of money doing that. Not only am I going to stop doing that, I'm going to go and become bankrupt because I'm going to pay everybody four times as much as I stole. I'm not that good with math. But if you're going to give back four times as much as you stole, that's more than what you stole. It's not going to be that good, Zacchaeus. He got excited in the moment. But that's what happens when you come and encounter with Jesus. All of a sudden, what you used to think was the biggest baller status in the world becomes nothing. Because once again, his will is superior to yours. You don't have to be top dog to be happy. You have to be a disciple and joy will fill your life. You don't have to reach what this world says you have to reach. You have to be a disciple and joy will fill your life. I'm here to tell you guys, stop believing a lie. It's not as important as you make it be. Listen, this last year, my wife and I, we went through a start of a business while she was studying to be a nurse. And by the way, I'm not against studying. I went to college. I, I studied. That's fine. But what I'm against is elevating it. It's, it's against, I'm against elevating. I'm against worshiping it. I'm against making it above anything else that it should be. All it is is a career. 
for some reason, it's more difficult for our generation because so much more is accessible. It was a lot, honestly, it was simpler, especially for those whose parents came from the former Soviet Union. Yo, it's not hard to leave a job where you have to hit nails all day long. It's easier to do that. But then to leave your cushiony job, that's a little harder. And I remember we started this business a year ago, and I had to leave my project management job. And I'm not saying that that, that voice of heaven came down and told me to leave that job. But I felt in my heart that God was pushing me elsewhere to start this business with the prospect to one day pull out of it and be able to do more ministry. And it was the toughest thing. Like when we did it, it was like hitting a brick wall. I came out of a job that paid me very well. Had a really, you know, high class position. Lead project manager of a big project. Yada, yada, yada. And to come out and just... I remember when I told my coworkers I was going to be a used car salesman, they laughed. They're like, you're doing what? I'm like, I'm going to sell used cars. Most of them are going to be wrecked. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. Copar, IAA, parts. It's awesome. I don't know why I did that. But I'm so thankful that I did. Because this last year, I can testify, and this is completely off topic, but I can testify. Not one day were we hungry. Not one day were we hungry. Not one day was my child lacking anything. Not one day. I'll tell you something else. The days when we had the least on our account, we gave more. And I never had to pay interest this whole year. Every month I'd pay off my credit cards. I don't know where from. I kid you not. I had, I'm speaking to somebody here. You're, you're afraid to trust God with your finances. I had my wife as a witness. I had checks coming in because of lawsuits. I had no clue I was part of. I worked for some companies somewhere. They're like, they got sued. They sent me a check. I'm like, thank you, America. I, I, had, I had relatives give me large sums of cash. Just walk into my office. Hey, happy birthday, a week late. I just wanted to give you this. I stood there in tears because nobody knew that I had nothing on my account at that point. Nothing. I was waiting for the next sale. They just walk in, give a large, I'm talking large, this is not $100, a large sum of money, put it on my desk, wish me a happy birthday and walk out, hey, I got to go to work. And I stood there just in complete awe of my father. I'm telling you, he'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. And money is so low on the totem pole. That's a bad reference. It's so low on the pole. Money is so low, it's insignificant. Your career is insignificant. It's insignificant. Completely insignificant. So number one, a disciple lays down his will for the will of his rabbi. Number two, a disciple lays down his livelihood to be provided by his rabbi. You know, when you become a disciple, first off, your provision changes. Your provision changes. Peter was a fisherman. He was a fisherman, so how did he make money? He would catch fish. He would sell it. You guys following? We're good? He'd catch fish. He would sell it. Now, how many of you guys remember the cool story in the Bible about the coins inside the fish? Come on. What's better? To buy a car and to sell it or to buy a car and end up there's a trunk full of gold in there? 
That's what I'm talking about. Don't worry about it. Jesus is creative. I love what Jesus does. He doesn't tell Peter, hey, uh, here, start even the new thing. He doesn't. He's so simple. He's like, hey, Peter, you're a fisherman. All right, no problem. Go catch a bass right there. Pop its belly open. Bunch of gold. What? No bass eats gold. Don't worry about it. Trust me. I love it. That's who our father is, guys. He's creative. Oh, what am I going to do with my life? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Trust him. He'll let you know. He'll let you know. You're going to come to an auction, buy a car. It turns out there's a trunk full of gold. Don't worry about it. He'll provide. God will provide. I'm a, I'm a testament to that, guys. I'm only 30 years old, but to this day, he's never failed me. He's never left me. What we saying here, faithful you are, faithful forever you will be, 100%. Yes and amen. He is faithful. He's never let you down. He won't let you down. Be a disciple. Trade your livelihood for his. Because when you trade your livelihood, your resources change. The one who provides for you changes. And you know what else changes? Values. Values change. What you used to value so high, that dream car, dream job, dream girl, dream whatever. All of a sudden, it, it, it stops being so important. All of a sudden, you realize, you know what? It's okay to be overseas, taking the taxi every day, doing things that to this world seems psycho because you're full of joy. Man, we came back from Tanzania last year with, with the interns. And once again, I got to see my friend Gote, who's been there for 47 years. 47 years in Tanzania. This man is from Finland. That's not a third world country. That is a normal country where people live the American Finnish dream. It's normal. People have jobs, cars, whatever. He leaves all that. He goes to Tanzania. Tanzania does not live the American Tanzanian dream. Tanzania is a country that does not have cars, jobs, this and that. Tanzania is a country where you don't shake with your left hand because there's a lot of things that happen with the left hand. Tanzania is a, is a different country. You don't go to Tanzania for vacation unless you're going to a safari. That's a really cool place. But Tanzania is a, is a different country. And 47 years, this man said, hey, I'm going to do three months at home and nine months in Tanzania because I feel God calling me to start a Bible school. I feel God calling me to start churches. I feel God calling me to do this, this, and this. And I look at this man and I'm inspired. I'm inspired knowing that he found the joy that I want. He found the joy in the simplest of conditions. Your values change when you become a disciple. Number three, a disciple takes on the nature of his rabbi. And this kind of encompasses everything we just talked about. A disciple takes on the nature of his rabbi. A disciple takes on. Let's read in Acts chapter 4 verse 13. The story there is Peter and John get arrested for preaching. The council calls them up. Starts to inspect and investigate. Starts to threaten them. And Peter and John respond with extreme boldness. And in verse 13 it says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. See, a lot of people were with Jesus. A lot of people were around Jesus. But for some reason nobody was recognizing that. 
For some reason, their life didn't start to reflect boldness. For some reason, their life didn't start to reflect his light. But Peter and John made a choice early on to be a disciple. Peter and John decided, you know what? I'm going to surrender my will for Jesus' will. You know what? I'm going to surrender my livelihood for him. And as they did that, they started to take on his nature. But I have good news. It didn't happen automatically. Some of you are like, that's bad news. No, it's good news. Because what it tells you is, you're okay. You're okay. If you're not a Jesus in flesh yet, don't worry about it. Let the Holy Spirit continue to work on you. That's the most incredible thing is that when Jesus was leaving, he looks at his disciples. He looks at Peter before he goes on the cross. Can you imagine? Jesus is looking at Peter and he's like, you want to follow me? He's like, yeah, man, I'll die for you. He's like, you will, but not yet. First, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But I love our God because that fact didn't cross Peter's name out. You know what it did? It just made him a good donor for the Holy Spirit. He became a good donor for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves our imperfections because when I am weak, he is strong. I'm not here to encourage your imperfection. I'm here to tell you, don't give up. I'm here to tell you, hey, if you're not perfect, open that aspect up to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I see this flaw. I want you to work on it. He, he loves it. That, that's, his, that, that's his golden moment. That's when he gets all the glory. You get no glory. With this business, I quit May 16th because I tried everything. Up to May 16th, I tried everything. I tried my smarts. I tried my connections. I tried my, my friends that helped me. Many friends from this church that are incredible friends that helped me so much. And it got me nowhere. I was losing money left and right, left and right, left and right. And I got to a point where I said, God, the Bible does say I have to provide for my family. You guys didn't even get the joke, but it's okay. I said, God, something's wrong. I want to provide for my family. Now, I'm not providing nothing but loss. And I quit. And I remember Serge Dirspeck, months prior to that, he's like, hey, you're going to get to the point where you're going to need to die for your business. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm dead to my business. He's like, yeah, I had to get there. And May 16th, I can honestly tell you guys, I died because May 16th, I quit. I just, we talked with my wife. I mean, this wasn't like a figurative quit. This was a straight up May 16th, talked to my wife. I said, all right, we're going to close down the business. I'll get an engineering job. We'll, we'll just do something else. I don't think I'm in the right place. And God's like, perfect. Now we can do this. And as I'm praying in the evening, he just says, hey, don't quit. I thought I was hallucinating. All this time, God, I've been praying, asking for a way out. Asking for an answer, silence. I've been fasting. My, prayer, my parents have been praying. People have been laying hands on me, prophesying this and that. Nothing. Silence. The day I quit, the day I surrender, the day I die, he's like, perfect. Because at this point, Rod, you can never tell anybody, oh, I was, well, it's because I am so educated. And I had all this experience building streetcars. Nope. My experience did nothing. My education did nothing. My connections did nothing. My friendships did nothing. I'm not just saying that. I'm genuinely laying it out for you. 
Nothing. I can't take any glory. Because outside of God, Conkin Auto Group would have closed May 16th. It was closed May 16th. But then Jesus says, perfect. Now that you can't take any glory, watch what I do. And I wake, I, I, as I pray there, I just tell my wife, hey, we're not going to close just yet. We're going to do three more months. Just put it before God. I, I have this feeling. He wants me to just do three more months. And we won't even talk about quitting for the next three months. If God does it, great. If he doesn't, I'm ready to quit now. So whatever. Nothing changed. And just everything changed. Completely everything changed. Completely everything changed. Completely everything changed. I'm here to tell you that you start to take on the nature of your, of your rabbi when you start to die to yourself completely. And I have so many things in the last years where God's just been shaking me up. And you know what? It's all the uncomfortable stuff. Man, correction is not fun. Ask my son. He'll scream at you. He screams at me too. Don't worry. Don't get offended. Correction is just not fun. It's not fun. I love the, the morning service today. God will use the pressure in your life. We all want to be like Jesus. Now, I want to be like Jesus. I want to walk on water. I'd never get my feet wet. Be awesome. I want to come in and shine the light everywhere. And you know what? So does he. He wants that in my life. But to get there, it's going to be a process. To get there, you're going to need to learn to surrender. To get there, you're going to need to learn that he's more important than your image. I'll share this. God was dealing with my frustration. I think this is going to speak to somebody here. God was dealing with my frustration. He still is. Frustration is a sin. You, if you're constantly frustrated, don't settle with it. You have to get that out of your life. God was dealing with my frustration. I, I'm, I can feel it right away. There's a lot of you. All right. Frustration is a sin. And there are so many moments that God was dealing with this in my life. I'll just tell you one of them. No, I'll tell you two. But one, it started here. We come back from a Sun River trip with my wife. Uh, my parents, some of you guys have been there. They have kind of a steep street and driveway. And it was an ice storm two years back, three years back, two, three years back, sometime back. There was an ice storm. We pull up and I parked the foreigner kind of in a stupid way. I'm smarter than that, but I wasn't on that night. And I park it so it's kind of sideways like this down the driveway. And I have my dad's boat parked on the edge of the street and then my Mustang below the, the boat. And I come out and I unload everything out of the foreigner and I hop back in. I'm like, all right, let's go. Everything was great until I put it in drive and we started sliding sideways and the boat's right here. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Hit the gas, hit the boat, hit the Mustang, hit the forerunner, walk out, ready to kick myself in the face. I just couldn't reach because not flexible enough. I was ready to kick everything around me. My wife's trying to calm me down. I'm getting even more mad. I'm frustrated at myself. I'm like, stop talking to me. I just wrecked my Mustang. I wrecked dad's boat and I wrecked my forerunner all in one time. And she's a good wife, so she's just like, whatever, <laughs> deal with it. That's a good thing to do. When somebody's frustrated, just let them deal with it. So I get home, and I'm like bitter, frustrated, counting how much I have to pay for all this damage. And I sat there on the couch, and I love the Holy Spirit. Because he doesn't give up when we give up. And he says, you know what, Rod? I don't like that. Honestly, I sat there, and I had this weird conversation with nobody in the room. I'm dead serious. 
I sat there and I had tears flowing down my eyes because I felt his presence when I least deserved it. When I didn't deserve anything and he's right there in the room he's saying, hey, I don't like that. I don't like your frustration. I can't use you with that frustration. That's not Christ-like. I can't do that. But here's the thing. I can only work on it if you allow me. I felt it so clear. He said, listen Rod, I can only work on it if you allow me. If you say, yeah, work on it. Because if you say, no, I won't. I'll just let it go. You do you. And I sat there that, that evening. I apologized to my wife. I said, God, work on it. If I got a wreck, another Mustang, another boat, another forerunner, please don't. <laughs> but work on it. And you know what he did? He worked on it. He let me wreck another car in front of my family. It's so, it's so humbling. I love it. Especially when you were frustrated in the moment. And then you get up and you explain to your family that everything's okay. And then you just take your son and you walk down the beach. And he says, you still good with me working on that? And you say, yeah, God. I'm good. Go for it. Until that's out, go for it. Dig it up. I don't care. Because I want your nature. I want to be like you. I don't want to get 90% there. God, I want to be used by you. And if to be used by you means I have to go through uncomfortable things, then go for it. Listen, earlier this year as we kind of had this breakthrough in the business, we had an awesome service here and I walked out to pray. I had Pastor Victor come up to me and he's like, Rod, you've been pruned. But guess what? Pruning is coming. And to that word, all I said was, thank you, Lord. Lord, I don't want you to stop. Not when I'm 30, 40, 50, 60 to the day I die. Please keep pruning me. Please don't ever let me say stop. Because it's your choice, guys. It's your choice whether you want to do it or not. He's not going to force anything upon, upon anyone. But I'm telling you, oftentimes we live our life like a follower expecting the results of a disciple. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Your salvation is grace and faith and a story. Nothing else. But your life is worked out. Your life is a process. It's painful sometimes. It's uncomfortable. It takes explanation. It's messy. It takes cleaning up. But there's one who's so interested in that. He's so interested in that. Because every time you, you take the next step, every time you, you succeed in what you used to fail, he's so excited. He's so excited because he's going to take you and put you in the spot where that success is going to serve someone else. It's always about someone else. It's always about someone else. But it's not about us. That's the biggest lie in the world. That's the biggest lie in the world. That it's about you. It's not about you. Listen, turn to your neighbor say, snap out of it. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's such a sobering realization that it's not about me. It's about the one who saved me. It's about the one who rescued me. It's about his desire to save the world. It's about his dreams. It's no longer my dream.